Welcome to God's Truth. I'm your instructor, Dr. D. Todd Harrison, as we continue to flood the world with God's truth. We are now moving to the epistles of Paul, the Pauline epistles. Uh, we've started this year with looking at the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. Uh, we now move into, uh, we then moved into the Acts of the Apostles and looked at some of the stories of the early apostles. Now we start to get the great writings of the Apostle Paul. Whether you think he's an apostate, whether you think he was an apostle, whatever your personal view about Paul, uh, certainly he's very instrumental in the development of Christianity. And so it's very important we study his letters and look and see what he personally had to say. Uh, in Acts, we looked at some of the stories about Paul and some partial parts of some of his speeches. Uh, for example, the uh, Mars Hill in Athens. But uh, now we'll see what he actually wrote here, starting in Romans. Uh, now, I don't know why they, uh, you know, 16 chapters in Romans probably would have been easier to split the lesson, chapters 1 through 8, not 1 through 6, and then 7 through 16. Next time, uh, that will give us a lot of material next time. But uh, there's some great stuff here in Romans, and we'll look at it and try to understand it and understand what he's uh, actually talking about so we can put away all the false uh, winds of false doctrine uh, taught about by heretical forms of uh, apostate forms of Christianity. And um, and so we'll begin here with the uh, Paul's epistle to Romans. And as he does his best to teach and, and testify of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And as one of his witnesses, I add my testimony to that of Paul and the other ancient early apostles that Jesus Christ lives. He rose from the dead. He conquered death, hell, and the grave. Let all the angels of heaven shout hallelujah, hosanna, and blessed be the name of the Lord God. Okay, let's look today at the Romans. And we get Paul, and look how Paul's going to start this off. It's very important. We And when, we, when we'll be looking at these epistles as to what he's going to do in the beginning of these epistles. So, uh, what we know from uh, the, from the New Testament, if you've been with us, you've seen all the evidence uh, adding up uh, here uh, that Paul, while he goes around calling himself an apostle, is not a member of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles of the first century uh, church, nor is he a member of the Presidency of the Seventy, nor is he a member of the Quorums of Seventy, nor is he a bishop, nor is he any kind of administrative authority at all. In fact, he has none authority in, in the church, right? He's going out. He's been called by Jesus Christ himself directly to be an apostle, to go forward, to preach his, in the name of Jesus Christ, to build up churches, to uh, uh, to preach before the Gentiles, to preach before kings and queens and the leaders of the earth. And he's going to fulfill all of that. Jesus Christ does not depend on a few men, whether they get their decisions right to uh, in, in, the, in their administration decisions. Jesus Christ is behind his church. He leads and guides his church today. If uh, if uh, he doesn't just depend on some men to get callings right in the church, if, if they don't call the right people or or they call other people instead, God will still bless those decisions and still grant them authority. And as those uh, newly called people humble themselves before God, he will bless them and bless their ministries, and, and they can have authority uh, to uh, preach in his name and, and act in any capacity in the church in which they were called, whether or not they were the 100% per, uh, 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 the one that God wanted or not. 
At the same time, there are some people on the earth who, throughout the history of the church, which God is going to use. And whether they call him or they don't call him, doesn't matter to God. He's still going to use them to bless millions of people around the world. And that's what we had with Paul. Paul founded Christianity. Without Paul, there is no Christianity. We would all, as Christians, be Jews. We would still be members of the Jewish religion, still keeping the law of Moses. We keep seeing that over and over again. What, what are the 12 doing? Keeping the law of Moses, right? Jesus came. He fulfilled the Mosaic law. But they're still keeping the, the law of Moses. They're still preaching that you need to keep the law of Moses. It's Paul that comes and starts to say, hey, wait a minute, guys. We no longer need to keep the law of Moses, right? And so let's look now. We'll begin with Romans. With Romans, here we go. He's now he remember he's been patient. He's been patient for for many many years. He keeps hope. You know, he, God appeared to him, Jesus appeared to him. He, he assumed that based on that, and uh, assuming based on the fact that Jesus Christ said he would preach his name throughout the then known world and before kings and the leaders of the world. That, that when the next vacancy in the quorum of the twelfth came up, he would be called to that position. But James doesn't like him. James, the brother of Jesus, the president of the church, does not like Paul. It's very clear in these letters. It's very clear in the book of Acts. He doesn't trust Paul, even when he makes the decision that the Gentiles can join the church. And but as long as they abstain from eating meat and things strangled, what does he do? He doesn't even trust Paul to go take the news down to his own community in Antioch, uh, Syria. He has to send uh, uh, Silas and another companion to go to go break the news uh, uh, to that Gentile community. He does not trust Paul. He's not calling Paul. He's refusing to call Paul. But God's still going to bless him and use him to, to teach and preach the gospel and to establish Christianity. That We do away with the law of Moses. We no longer have to keep the law of Moses, including all 613 commandments from the way that you go to the bathroom to the ways you wash your hands and all those sort of things. Here we go. So after many years now, and then remember, we'll learn in Galatians, and we already saw in, in Acts a little bit there. After 14 years, he's like, Paul's like, I guess the, the first presidency, they don't understand yet, do they? Uh, you know, that God wants me to be called to be an apostle. After 14 years, I'm going to go up to Jerusalem. I'm going to tell them all the great things I've been doing, all the Gentile uh, congregations I've built up in the name of the Lord. And so he goes there and he tells all these great things that, that, that he's accomplished with the Gentiles. They still don't call him, right? So then at this point in time, he starts to get to, well, he's just going to start calling himself an apostle. And so here we go in, in chapter one, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ called to be an apostle. <laughs> now, the great thing is this. He's backed up by that. At the time, they thought, you know, he's the thought he's a, you know, a heretic. He thought he was an apostate, right? He's preaching a false, what the 12 apostles thought was a, a false form of Christianity, that you don't have to keep the law of Moses. They're preaching. You have to keep the law of Moses, right? So they viewed Paul as kind of like an apostate, right? And and so here Paul's now starting to call himself an apostle. But God backed it up 2,000 years later in a revelation in Doctrine and Covenants section 18, verse 9. Maybe we should go ahead and, and take a look at this. So uh, Paul here is a, being bold, isn't he? He's out now he's going to start saying that he's just an apostle as much as they are. He's going to, in Corinthians, he's going to say, hey, I worked harder than all the 12 apostles. He's going to be uh, saying a lot of things uh, like that. Uh, he gets frustrated at one point in time and says that he wishes the 12 apostles would just go 
cut off the, you know, they were circumcised. They go, why don't they just go cut off the rest of their private parts and, you know, end this, end this debate, right? <laughs> okay, so Doctrine and Covenants and a Revelation to Prophet Joseph in uh, section 18, verse 9. And this puts to rest our, you know, what, you know, what Paul may or may not have been. What doesn't... What doesn't matter is the actual administrative position you hold in the church. What matters is what Jesus Christ thinks of you. Who does Jesus Christ think you are? And now, Oliver Cowdery, I speak unto you, and also unto David Whitmer, by the way of commandment. For behold, I command man uh, everywhere to repent. And I speak unto you, even as unto Paul, mine apostle. For you are called even with that same calling with which he was called, right? Now, there was no Quorum of the Twelve until 1835. These are apostles outside the Quorum of the Twelve called by Jesus Christ, just as Paul was called as an apostle of Jesus Christ without being a member of the Quorum of the Twelve, without being a Seventy, without being a general authority, without being a bishop, without being any kind of anything officially, administratively in the church. 2,000 years later, God himself backs up Paul's claim here that he's an apostle of Jesus Christ. So what a great story here. He had to wait nearly 2,000 years for that, uh, rejected by the early church as being an apostle. But uh, Jesus Christ himself backed him up eight, over 1,800 years later and said that Paul was his apostle. Okay, so Paul, a servant Jesus Christ called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God. Continue through verse 8 here. Which he had promised before by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, Jesus Christ our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh. Now, in one of the early uh, false doctrines started being preached in first century A.D. Uh, Christianity was that Paul, is that Jesus did not actually come in the flesh. He was some sort of phantom that that, you know, walked on the earth and so forth, but he, he never, you know, was bad to have flesh, right? This especially goes into the Gnostic, Gnostic Christianity. It's, it's bad to have flesh. You want to do everything you can to escape flesh. Therefore, Jesus Christ did not have flesh, right? And so that's why later on we'll read in the epistles of John, for example, that those who said Jesus Christ did not come in the flesh is not of God and, and these sort of things. So here Paul's trying to lay out that he was made of flesh. And he was then declared to be the Son of God with power, according to the Spirit of Holiness, by the resurrection from the dead. The fact that nobody had ever been risen from the dead. They had been resuscitated temporarily until they died, but no one had been resurrected permanently that they would not die again. Jesus was the first fruits of those who were being resurrected. But by the power of the resurrection from the dead, God showed forth the proof that Jesus indeed was who he claimed to be, that Jesus was indeed the Son of God, by whom we have received grace and apostleship. So again, defending that uh, he's an apostle called directly by Jesus Christ. He didn't have to be called through the president of the church or the counselors of the first presidency. He was called directly by Jesus Christ to be an apostle. For obedience to the faith among all nations for his name, among whom are ye also the called of Jesus Christ. To all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse eight, uh, 
First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for y'all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. Wow, what a great uh, compliment there, right? How would you like your ward, your church congregation to be known for their faith throughout all the world, right? May we help each other, our neighbors and the fellow members of our uh, local congregations to uh, become such, to become such Christians with great faith that they can be spoken of well throughout the whole world. Let's move to verse 16. And here's one of the great ones. There's a lot of good things here in uh, Romans. A lot, of we, a lot of us have heard these uh, uh, taken out of context or just used as, uh, you know, single verses outside of the context here. But here we go in verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to Jew first and also to the Greek, right? May we not, may we never be found, may we never be accused of being ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Remember that Jesus said in Matthew 10, that those who deny me before men, of them will I deny before my Father in heaven. May we never face ourselves in such a situation as that. But instead, he also taught in Matthew 10, those who confess him before men, of them he will confess before his father in heaven. That's the way we want to live our lives. We want to go into that day of judgment, have Jesus Christ turn to the father. Father, I know this one. He openly testified to me. He was never ashamed of me. Let him into your kingdom. And there you go right in there. Uh, your, uh, uh, the day of judgment is over for you. You had granted immediate uh, access into heavenly father's kingdom. May that be the way that we choose to live our lives. Uh, let's look at 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Again, the gospel continues to teach all the way through the Old Testament and New Testament about the wrath of God. How much better our civilization would be today if instead of teaching the false form of that God just loves, loves, and is just tolerant of all evil and just as a result, continues to increase evil throughout all the world, and we're told to love them and just allow them to be evil. How would it be if we went back to the way it was in the 1800s and the preaching of the preachers in those days, preaching hellfire and damnation, right? And get people to wake up to reality that there is indeed a coming judgment of God, and he will indeed punish in his wrath and his anger. He will punish the unrighteousness and the ungodly people. Let's look at uh, verse 20. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Now, this verse is often uh, quoted by those who are practicing the form of <coughs> study called natural theology, in which by studying nature and science, Nature and science bears witness, bears testimony that indeed there is a God, there is a creator of heaven and earth. And so we, we know just by looking around at the mountains, the lakes, and looking at the animal kingdoms and all these things all around us, we all know there indeed is a God and that he's the creator. Therefore, all men are without excuse. There are some who, who lie 
who openly lie and try to tell you that they don't believe in God. It's not true. God has implanted on everyone's DNA a basic belief in him. Everybody knows there is a God and that he's the creator. Some don't like him. Some want to live a wicked life. Some don't want to face the reality that there's a coming judgment, and therefore they go around trying to proclaim that they are an atheist and they don't really believe. But God has implanted in all everyone's DNA a belief in God and that he's the creator and that there's a coming judgment of the world. Everybody knows that. Whether they want to acknowledge it, whether they want to lie and deny that they believe that, they all believe. No one can convince me they don't believe it because the scriptures are very clear all the way throughout. We'll see that in the Book of Mormon next year, right, with the Antichrist, right? Later on, they'll acknowledge that, yeah, they really did believe all along. And, yeah, they, you know, that what they were doing, preaching that there was no God was wrong because they knew that there really was a God. Everybody knows there's a God. There's no such thing as an atheist. Okay, let's continue on. Because that when they knew God, they, they, they did not glorify him as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God, right? So a body of flesh and bones that's been resurrected that no longer has blood but has some other sort of celestial substance running through its, its uh, body. They changed that uncorruptible God for a corruptible, meaning a, a God made out of an image, made out of wood, stone, and these sort of things. And to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Wherefore, because they did that, God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts. God withdrew his spirit from them. Therefore, they became natural uh, people, uh, as the Book of Mormon will teach. Natural, The natural man is an enemy. To God, they became enemies uh, to God. Uh, they uh, uh, through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, who changed the truth of God into a lie. Right, the, the, the truth of God that God has a body of flesh and bones. That Jesus Christ rose from the dead with a body of flesh and bones. That He appeared in the each of the four Gospels, as we saw in those weeks when we looked at those lessons, and he said, handle me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. Then he ate with the apostles, and the woman touched him, and all throughout the Gospels, there's a physicality of the resurrected Lord. But instead, they changed it into a lie, didn't they? So then they teach, start teaching this false, abominable heresy, this heretical doctrine about this trinity, that the Father and Son and the Holy Ghost are three in one, and and, and, and all this uh, the jumble mumble that they're everywhere present, but nowhere present. In other words, the form of atheism doesn't exist. The one times zero equals zero. Uh, that they're the spirit and don't have a body of flesh and bones. So they indeed did that. They changed the uncorruptible God into a lie. And those who don't even worship the, the Trinity, uh, false doctrine, God, you know, then worship gods that are even way different uh, uh, than that. Okay. And uh, uh, they changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this cause, God gave them up unto vile affections, for even their woman 
did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise, also the man leaving the natural use of the woman burned in their lust one toward another, man with man working that which is unseemly and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error, which was meat. A lot of people don't like these verses, do they? Now, I'm not here to voice, uh, you know, I'm here to teach the word of God, right? We look at what do the scriptures say, right? I have no personal, uh, I'm not voicing my personal opinion on, on the matter. Uh, I'm just telling you what God said and what the scriptures say. Scriptures say here that is unnatural. That means the natural man. Paul would argue, uh, based on that, that the natural man who is an enemy to God, the enemy to God, natural man, that even he or she is not what's proclaimed out in the streets in our cities. That's what Paul said. That's not what I said. I didn't say that. I didn't write this, right? I didn't write this. This is what the Apostle Paul wrote, all right? This is what God allowed and inspired the Apostle Paul to write here in the scriptures. It's not natural. It's a, it's a sin not only uh, against God, but it's a sin against nature. Now, the trouble is, is it's an addiction. Those who involve themselves in such lifestyle become addicted uh, to it. We see that in the, the, uh, Sodom and Gomorrah. Remember when the angels come to visit uh, Lot and make a final decision whether they need to destroy the city or not? These men are so addicted to this unnatural uh, form of uh, sexual relations that they're trying to, uh, to rape uh, angels from heaven. The angels from heaven even give some curse on them where they get blind and they can't even see. They're so addicted to this. That now they're trying to still bang the doors open and can't, they can't even see to go rape these people. It's not natural. It's not natural, but it's addictive. And those who are born, who, who experiment with this sort of thing, become addicted to it. And it's a heart addiction, as we see here in Romans, according to Paul. It, it's a it, it's it's a curse of God. God removed Himself from their lives. That's what He said here, and therefore they were delivered up to these unnatural things that even the natural man, an enemy to God, does not even participate in. Again, I'm not voicing my own opinion on this. This is not my words, not my, not, 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 you know, I'm not saying this. I'm just the messenger here. I'm reading to you what the word of God says and what the apostle Paul said here in scripture. If you disagree with it, you don't disagree with me. I'm just not my words. I didn't write this, right? I didn't write this. I have nothing to do with this, right? I'm just here. Today's lesson is on Romans chapter one. I'm just telling you what God said about it. You have a problem with this? You take it up with God. You ask him. You talk to him about it, right? See if he gives you a different answer than what he already gave here in the scriptures. Right? Okay, let's continue uh, forward then. Uh, so we see it's not natural. They're not born that way, according to Paul, according to the scriptures. Again, I'm not, I'm not saying anything at all. I'm reading you what the word of God says and what Paul said. You accept the word of God. You accept Paul. You believe what the word of God and what Paul said. If you don't want to uh, believe the word of God, well, you have that free agency, that free choice. Problem with free agency and free choice is that you still have to suffer the consequences 
of your decisions, right? So you'll either be blessed or cursed, life or death, blessing or cursing, uh, return to live with God, be cast out forever where there's weeping, wailing, and gnashing of teeth. That's your decision, right? No one can make that for you. Salvation is an individual um, action that each man and woman have to make based on whether they want to accept God in their lives. What do they want to accept what God said in their lives? What do they want to go out and do it, right? So my hope always and is to, in my prayer always for you, is you make the right decisions in your life, that you decide to honor God, honor the creator and not the creature, honor the word of God and the commandments of God, and God will bless you with the joy and the peace and the happiness that he's promised you. He'll bless you with that eternal life. He'll bless you with being able to return to live with God in his heavenly mansions above, right? So again, this is what the word of God said, right? I didn't say this. This is not my opinion. You don't quote me and say Dr. D. Todd Harrison said XXXX. I didn't. This is what the word of God says. I'm just reading you what Paul and the word of God say. Okay, let's continue on then. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, see, I just told you that already, right? Some don't, just don't like God, right? They just don't like God. They didn't want to retain God in the retain God in their knowledge. God gave them over to this reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient, right? Not natural. And then because of that, they also become what filled with all unrighteousness, with fornication, wickedness, covetousness maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whispers, backbiters, haters of God. I mentioned that to you already also, right? They actually hate God. A lot of these atheists and a lot of these people who do unnatural things, they hate God. They want to go around and pretend that they're nice people and, and, and the, oh, they're so nice and stuff. The reality is they hate God. That's what he said here, right? That's what he said. Right. I, again, I'm just a messenger. You don't, you know, not me involved here. Right. This is God saying that people hate him. These people who are changing the natural use of things, the natural way of things, nature, nature, the way people are born. They change the way people are born because they hate God right here, right here. Read it for yourselves. Chapter one, Romans. And as that started uh, here in verse 25 through 32. Go ahead and read it yourselves if you don't believe me. <laughs> Go read it. I'm just a messenger, right? I'm just a messenger. You read it for yourselves what God says. They hate him. Backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, bolsters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection. Again, natural affection. The way you're born is the natural way, right? They change the nature. Uh, and, and a lot of them, again, you know, my heart goes out to those who were, you know, sexually molested, right? Uh, by people of the same gender, same sex. Apparently, there's some way that they can be addicted to that. And then they think that, that, they, that they were born some other way, other than the natural way, right? And my heart goes out to those kind of people like that. But, you know, God's, I guess, given all of us trials and things that we need to overcome, right? So, again, this is Paul, 
This is Romans. This is God. I'm just the messenger here. You know, I'm just bringing you and letting you know what the word of God says. Okay, let's continue on here. Who, who, uh, who knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. They have pleasure in them that do them. They support them. They have parades. They have, have all kinds of things for these people to do these evil things. Again, I didn't say that. Read Romans chapter 1. God said that through the apostle Paul, right? Let's make that very clear here, right? I, I'm just the messenger here, right? I'm not saying this. I'm not inventing uh, uh, knowledge. I'm not inventing truth. I'm not inventing God's mind and will on matters in life. God has laid it out here through the apostle Paul, who he declared in Doctrine and Covenants 18.9 to be his apostle, right? His apostle. He's saying, I'm, I called Paul to be my apostle, and here is what I told Paul to say, right? You have a problem with that. You don't take that up with, the, with any leader of the church. You don't take that up with any preachers or any ministers of, of any of the Christian religions, not just mine, not just my, my church, uh, any of the churches. You don't take that up with the, with the ministers or the preachers or whatever you have it. You don't take it up with them. They're just the messengers. They just teach you what it says here in the scriptures. You have a problem with this? You take it to God yourself in prayer. Let in, and you work it out with God. Okay. All right. Let's continue on then to chapter two. Chapter two, verse one through two. Therefore, thou art inexcusable, O man, whosoever thou art that judgest, for wherein thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself. For thou that judgest doest the same things. But we are sure that the judgment of God is according to truth against them which commit such things. It is the truth, the truth, the way things are, the natural order of things, the nature of the universe. That's all truth. That's God. God is behind all truth, the, the scientific way, the understanding of the universe and the cosmos. God is behind that. Uh, 4 through 10. Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and long suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance? Okay. So why does God not just usually somebody sins one time and he just strikes him dead? He's done it before. We saw that with Porusa. Tried to the Ark of the Covenant was falling. It would be a good thing to try to put your hand up to support it. But he wasn't a priest. He wasn't a Levite. He had no right to touch the Ark of the Covenant, so God zapped him. You also have the guy who picked up sticks on the Sabbath day. God zapped him, for an example, right? So there's times where he does it, but usually he doesn't, right? So usually he doesn't do it. He lets people sin over and over again using great forbearance and long-suffering and, and goodness, allowing them a chance and a space to make decisions in their life that they want to turn to God, repent of their sins, and come unto him. But after thy hardness and impenitent heart treasureth up unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. So don't think they're getting away with it just because someone may be sinning and you think that, oh, their life's still good. Uh, doesn't seem to be. They're treasuring it up. God's counting it up. It's, it's adding up. 
like putting it in a treasure box. They keep putting this wickedness, this evilness in the treasure box until the day of judgment, the day of wrath, and they will suffer the consequences. You can be assured of that. That is the truth of God. That's what he teaches. Okay, verse 6. Then he comes right back onto it here. Who will render to every man according to his deeds. To them who by patience, by patient continuance and well-doing, seek for glory and honor and immortality, don't receive eternal life. But unto them that are contentious and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation and wrath. So they get indignation and wrath, right? The real God, the real Jesus, we pointed this out all the way through the Old Testament uh, in 2022, all the way through the New Testament in 2023. The real Jesus, the real God, not the false one being preached in the world today, but the real one of the scriptures, right? And then he says here in um, in verse 9, tribulation and anguish. Upon, here, here he goes, yeah, good old Paul. Here he goes. He's going to curse people here, right? He's cursing and, and wishing tribulation and anguish upon every soul of man that doeth evil of the Jew first and also the Gentile. Well, they get the gospel first before the Gentiles. They should be punished before the Gentiles too. Right? But glory, honor, and peace to every man that worketh good to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. That worketh good. You have to do good things in your life. You've got to keep the basic commandments. You don't have to keep the law of Moses. Doesn't matter how you wash your hands before you eat dinner. It doesn't matter how you go to the bathroom. Doesn't matter all the whether you defecate on the Sabbath day, whether you defecate in the city of Jerusalem, and all these sort of things that were are argued about by the rabbis and the early Jewish leaders. Doesn't matter any of that stuff, right? But it does matter whether you keep the commandments. Whether you whether you're a fornicator, whether you're an adulterer, whether you're a murderer, whether you're honest, whether you're a thief. You know, whether you uh, blaspheme God's name, uh, whether you keep the Sabbath day holy, these sort of things. Paul never said what false evangelical Christians say today about, oh, it doesn't matter if you keep the commandments of God or not. Oh, as long as you believe Jesus, you can live your life out in uh, in complete disarray. You can live your life uh, as an enemy to God. But as long as you accept Jesus as your Savior, you'll be okay. Nowhere does it teach in the Bible about that. Paul here, read Romans, right? It's very clear in Romans, right? He's already keeps saying all these wicked people. He's singling them out. He's saying they're deserving the, the, the just the uh, measure of their sins. He said back over the unnatural people doing unnatural things, he said that they'll receive the recompense of the air was met. That's where the, you know, they get all kinds of sexual diseases and so forth, right? So people will uh, receive, not just spiritual. And a lot of people don't understand that. But a lot of the commandments of God are to, pre to protect people's physical health. So, so if you sin, you damage yourself both physically and spiritually. Not just spiritually, but physically and uh, spiritually. And mentally and emotionally, we know all kinds of mental disorders that are uh, 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 caused by sin and and uh, accept and, and not accepting and, and carrying out the will of God for your life. Okay, so then he says here, um, for there is no respect to persons with God. Okay, so now we'll move to 13 through 16. 
For not the oh, 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 oh. for not the hearers of the law are just before God, but the doers of the law shall be justified. Again, this is Paul. This is your favorite apostle, evangelicals, huh? You like to you like to reject all the the real Jesus. You like to reject Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, you, you know you want to you know you really want to probably tear those books of scripture out because you don't believe in that Jesus. You believe in this Trinity crap. You know uh, uh, you you don't believe the real Jesus, the Jesus of the Bible. Well, you'd like to take Paul, but you take uh, you reject most of Paul too. Apparently, you you only like to take a couple of verses of Paul out of context, and then you try to build a church upon it. He's going over and over again about this. Not the hearers of the law, not just those who go up and show up at Billy Graham crusade, except Jesus as, as their Savior, that will be saved. He says it right here. Go ahead, read Romans 2, verse 13. For not the hearers of the law are justified by God. They're not justified by God just by hearing a gospel message and then accepting Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You're not. Very clear. Who are, who are those who are justified? The doers of the law shall be justified. Those who actually keep the Ten Commandments. Now, you don't have to keep the law of Moses, but you do have to keep the Ten Commandments, right? And that's why Paul keeps coming back and back and back on this already. We're still in chapter 2. We're still in chapter 2. But Paul keeps talking about the importance of keeping the commandments of Jesus and the Ten Commandments and doing all these uh, righteous, uh, righteous things. He's saying if you just listen to his sermon, and except Jesus as your Lord and Savior, it's not enough. According to Paul, he's your guy. He's your guy. Not even a, not even an official member of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles, but but he's your man. He's your man. You like to quote him out of context and and, and try to excuse your evilness so that you can live your life and and complete the rebellion against God and think that by proclaiming Jesus, proclaiming Jesus, somehow you'll be saved. And then. Paul would not agree with that for one second. Everything Paul taught in the New Testament goes against that, except for a couple of verses of Scripture. You take out of context, you have to reject everything else, reject all of Paul. And I guess that's why some of your scholars try to now even argue that some of these epistles of Paul were not even written by Paul. You try to get rid of it, right? Because you just want a few little select passages to build your, your church and build your false religion on. Okay, let's continue on here. The doers of the law shall be justified. 14, for when the Gentiles, which have not the law, do by nature the things contained in the law, these having not the law are a law unto themselves, which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and their thoughts the mean while accusing or else excusing one another. And the day when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ, according to my gospel. So now is what comes up with, with um, the idea of natural law and, uh, and the idea that everybody has a conscience. You may not have the gift of the Holy Ghost. You may not have had somebody with the authority of God place their hands on your head and, uh, and grant you the gift of the Holy Ghost. But you have a conscience. The conscience is the light of Christ. The conscience tells you what's right and wrong. So everybody knows. Even the Gentiles who didn't know the who didn't know the commandments. They didn't know the Ten Commandments. They didn't know 
the Old Testament at that time, right? They didn't. They would never receive the New Testament, for example. Those who live without the Bible, even today, those who don't know the Bible, they still know what's right and what's wrong, and they're still going to be judged according to whether they did according to their conscience or the light of Christ, whether they kept the basic commandments of God or not. And they'll be judged by that in the, the, the day of judgment. 25 through 29. For circumcision verily profiteth, if thou keep the law. Now he's going back to those, to the 12 apostles, right? The 12 apostles and, the, and all the Jewish Christians, which were mainly the church at this time still. And he said, you know, and they're out preaching that, you know, you got to be circumcised. Paul, hey, Paul, we heard that Paul's preaching that you can't, you don't need to be circumcised anymore. Paul, Paul this, Paul that. Hey, James, President James, President James, let's communicate this Paul. He's a bum. He keeps teaching the people that they should not keep the law of Moses. He's evil. He's apostate. Says, well, okay, uh, you know, well, you're, you know, your circumcision may profit you if you keep the law of Moses. But if you don't, if you're a breaker of the, law, of the law of Moses, then your circumcision is made uncircumcision. You might not have, it would have been just as well not to have been circumcised because your circumcision is not going to do you any good now that you broke the law of Moses, right? Now, later on, he's going to also argue it's impossible for anybody to keep the law of Moses. Everyone's going to fall short of keeping all 613 commandments of the law of Moses. And, and so, again, the, it's not important to get circumcised, right? And so not uncircumcision, which is by nature, right? All the non-Jews uh, were not circumcised. So by nature, they were born un uncircumcised. Right? It, if it fulfilled the law, judge thee, who by the letter and circumcision does transgress the law. For he is not a Jew, which is one outwardly, just because you, your body has been circumcised and you look Jewish, doesn't mean that you're really a Jew. Neither is that circumcision, which is outward in the flesh. Doesn't do you any, any good. But who is really a Jew, uh, which is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart, not of the flesh. If you want to be circumcised, you better be one that, whose heart has been circumcised to, uh, to worshiping God and doing your best to keep his commandments. Is that of the heart and in the spirit and not in the letter, whose praise is not a man but of God. Okay, so that's chapter two. Moving to chapter three. Let's look one through two. Okay, so then in that case, does the Jew have any advantage uh, uh, or is there any advantage at all in circumcision? And any answers? Yes, there indeed is because the, mainly because unto them were committed the oracles of God. So it was, it was still beneficial to be a Jew throughout history because they were the ones that had access to the Old Testament. They were the ones that had access to the prophets of the Old Testament. None of the other nations had that same access. And so, therefore, it was still a great advantage uh, to have been a Jew at that time. 7 through 12. For if the truth of God hath more abounded through my lie unto his glory, why yet am I also judged? as a sinner, and not rather, as we be slanderously reported, and as some affirmed away we, that, that, that we say, let us do evil that good may come, whose damnation is just, right? So problem is, what's, what happens is that James keeps sending out uh, 
uh, missionaries and sending out the 70 and so forth to go fight Paul. And as Paul would go build up a, a congregation of saints in, in some part of the Gentile world, they the, those from James would show up on the scene and they would suddenly teach him they got to be circumcised. They got to keep the law of Moses. They can't eat meat and all these things contrary to what Paul had just taught him. They also, also start to, as he says here, they're slanderously reporting about me, saying that I'm going around teaching the people that, that we should do evil so that good can come, right? That uh, because of, of grace and so forth, that the idea being that, uh, well, if, if grace is a good thing, then we should sin even more because then we would receive even greater grace in our lives. So uh, they go around attacking Paul saying, well, this guy's saying, don't keep the law of Moses. He's, what he's saying is going out and he's saying that it's all about this grace. And so therefore he's saying that you should just sin all you can because then you receive all the grace that you possibly can. And you're blessed by God because now you receive greater levels of grace than those who keep the, the law of Moses and don't receive and you don't don't need to receive much grace, right? So he said they're slandering him when they when they tell such lies. Okay, so then let's pick up here, and then they're saying, and then they're saying that their damnation is just, right? That Paul's Paul's being Paul is going to go to hell. Paul's a heretic. He's a apostate. He and his people and and uh, his congregations are going to be damned in hell. And uh, so again, he said, you know, this is, he you know, obviously doesn't like it, right? And so he's pointing it out right here. Verse nine, what then are we better than they? No and no wise, for we have uh, before proved both Jews and Gentiles that they are all under sin, right? So we're all under sin, whether you're keeping the law of Moses, whether you're not, we're all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. Even Jesus, remember, Jesus said that because Hebrews will argue that Jesus did not become perfect until after the things which he suffered. Mainly what he suffered was in the last 24 hours of his life. Therefore, he didn't become perfect until he rose from the dead. That's why in Matthew 5, 48, he just says, be perfect as your father in heaven is, is perfect. But then when he's able to appear as a resurrected Lord to the Nephites and third Nephi, be perfect as your father in heaven or as I am perfect. And that's also why when they came up to Jesus and they said, and they and they called him good master, right? Good master. And he said, why do you call me good? There is no good. And there, there's no one that's good but God, right? So even he's including himself as Paul is here, that there's none righteous, no, not one. Even Jesus declared that about himself, that there was none righteous except for God, right? Why call me good? There's no good but God. Uh, there's none that understandeth. There's none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They're all together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. Sixteen through eighteen. The results of sin is what? Here we go. Verse sixteen. Very simple. Destruction and misery are in their ways. Destruction and misery are in their ways of the wicked. And the way of peace, they have not they have none. They, they don't have peace. So you don't have you have misery and you don't have peace and you have destruction. There's no fear of God before their eyes, but the day will come in which they'll come and appear before the mighty throne of God and be judged of their sins and rewarded accordingly. 
19 through 25. Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law. Those who, you know, the, the, Whatever the law of Moses says, it says to those who are trying to keep the law of Moses. That every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. So he's, he's going to be arguing here uh, that not only here, but throughout his epistles, right? That the law of Moses was designed intentionally with the 613 commandments to be so hard to follow that nobody would be able to keep it perfectly. And it introduced sin into the world because everyone would fall short of keeping the law of Moses. That every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. That's why the law of Moses was given so that all the world would become guilty before God and therefore needed a Savior and Redeemer. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You cannot keep perfectly all 613 commandments of the law of Moses. Therefore, everyone has sinned and come short of the glory of God. Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ. Therefore, we re we need the grace and redemption of Jesus Christ to be saved. Whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood. We know from other scriptures, from the foundation of the world, Jesus was selected by God to do so. To declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God. To declare, I say at this time, his righteousness that he might be just. And the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. Where is boasting then? Is it excluded by what law? Of works? Nay, but by the law of faith. Not by doing the works of the law of Moses. We just proved to you, you can't keep all 613 commands. Therefore, you have no right to boast those of you who are trying to keep the law of Moses. Again, being in the, uh, the Jews and the Jewish Christians, the which is the main part of the church, including the 12 apostles, right? He says, and so now he creates this new law called the law of faith. Now, it's not faith only without keeping the commandments. He's, he's coming back over and over again about the need to keep the Ten Commandments and, and do good things, right? But he's calling this law of faith, meaning that by faith you can be saved by keeping the Ten Commandments and not washing your hands ceremoniously in the proper way or what are you, having to base whether you should defecate on the Sabbath day or not and all these sort of things. He says here, 28, Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. Again, evangelicals and false apostate Christians pay attention to what Paul is talking about here. He's not talking about keeping the Ten Commandments. He's not talking about doing what Jesus said to do. He is talking specifically about the law of Moses, the 613 commandments of the law of Moses, including the way you washed your hands and their dietary regulations and all these sort of things. That's what he's talking about here. Look at the context before you take verses of Scripture out of complete context here. He's not, therefore, we conclude that man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. 
So you false apostates go out and try to say that, well, you just have to believe in Jesus. You just have to believe and you can live your life however you want. Paul did not say that. Read the context of what Paul's saying. Paul's saying you don't need to keep the, the commandment. You don't need to keep the 613 commandments of Moses. You do have to restrain yourselves from being a fornicator and an adulterer and a murderer and all these things and, and doing unnatural sexual relations and all these sort of things. Paul has been teaching that the whole entire time. He's introducing this terminology, what he's calling the law of faith. Faith in keeping the, the basic commandments, the Ten Commandments, uh, if you will, without needing to keep the 613 works of the law. Christianity, you're uh, sinless until you sin. Judaism, you're born sinful until you become righteous through the way that you're keeping both the positive and the negative commandments. The, the negative, the prohibitions of the things you can't do is all the things you should be doing, which makes yourself become more and more righteous. And that's what he's talking about here. So therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of law. You don't need to keep the law of Moses. He's justified by faith, by faith in keeping the Ten Commandments, not by keeping worrying about 613 commandments of the law of Moses, which, as he had just said, was given to make everybody guilty of sin. Okay, hopefully that made that clear to all of you false apostates out there who don't understand what you're talking about when you proclaim false doctrine and then deceive even more and more people and you spread this false gospel to millions of people around the world, it needs to be put down and, and rejected and shut down right away. It's false doctrine. It's not what Paul's saying at all. We just looked at what Paul's saying. 30, seeing that it is one God which shall justify the circumcision by faith and uncircumcision through faith. Do we then make void the law through faith? God forbid. Yea, we establish the law. We prove that Jesus was the fulfillment of the law, Moses, that he came to fulfill the law. Okay, very good. Now let's move to chapter 4, verse 1 through 3. What shall we say then that Abraham, our fathers, pertaining to the flesh, hath found? Here we go. Are you ready for this one? Paul versus James here, right? Paul, we keep seeing, keeps arguing, you don't have to keep the law of Moses. James, the president of the church, what does he keep saying? Again, this is James, the brother of Jesus. A lot of people somehow confuse him with James, the brother of John, the fisher from Galilee. They're not the fisher from Galilee, folks. This is James, the brother of Jesus, the leader of the church. Okay, so uh, we get here. So we have Paul saying you don't have to keep the law of Moses. We got James, president of the church, saying you have to keep the law of Moses. And this whole epistle, when we get to the book of James, uh, we're going to see it's all about keeping the law of Moses, right? And so here they get in an argument, Paul and James, and they know each other's letter, and they're arguing against each other here as to how Abraham was justified. Was it by doing the works of the law? In other words, keeping the law of Moses and doing the law of, of animal sacrifice and offering up Isaac, which is what James will argue in chapter 2 of the epistle of James, or is it simply by faith 
is what Paul's going to argue, right? So James versus Paul here uh, in uh, chapter 4, and he says, What shall we then say, uh, say then that Abraham, our fathers pertaining to the flesh, hath found? For if Abraham are justified by the works of the law, by doing the 613 commandments of Moses, he's not saying the Ten Commandments here of faults upon evangelical Christians. you got to get that. you got to get that out of your minds. You've been lied to, whether intentionally or unintentionally by your current and former pastors. They may have been lied to, uh, you know, but this is all based on lies. So whether they've lied to you directly or whether they were lied to, uh, to, and then they taught you the lies that were passed on to them, you have been lied to. And you need to realize that. And you need to reject these false ideas that are abounding throughout the world, right? For if Abraham are justified by works, by doing the commandments of Moses, 613, not the Ten Commandments, he hath whereof to glory, but not before God, right? If that were true, he could glory himself. He doesn't even need God. If you can keep the 613 commandments perfectly, you don't need a Savior. You don't need a Redeemer. For what saith the Scripture? And here we go. So it goes to this Genesis passage. Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness, right? So Paul's argument here is that Abraham uh, was uh, account, was counted to God for righteousness because he believed. He believed in, in God. But then later he's going to use another argument, too. That not only was it in offering up Isaac, uh, that he had the faith to offer up Isaac uh, through faith, not by doing the, the law of sacrifice, according to the law of Moses, but he sacrificed Isaac by faith. But we're going to see later on he also exercised faith and when he believed that at his old age and Sarah's old age, they could still have a child. And so that's his argument here on this Abraham passage in Genesis. James, the brother of Jesus, is going to argue the opposite. James in chapter 2, and we'll look at this a lot more when we get to James chapter 2. Uh, but here he's going to say, Was not Abraham our father justified by works? <laughs> Paul just said Abraham believed. Uh, he just said that uh, um, for what does the scriptures say? Abraham believed God and was counted to him for righteousness, right? And uh, and then here, here he says here, James, was not Abraham our father justified by works? <laughs> by, by doing a lot of Moses, the law of sacrifice, when he had offered Isaac his son upon the altar, right? So the, the big argument here between James and uh, Paul, now we're, they're arguing over scriptures here in, in Genesis. Okay, so let's continue on. 9 through 25. Cometh this blessedness then upon the circumcision only, only those Jews who were circumcised, or upon the uncircumcised also, the Gentiles who were not circumcised. For we say that faith was reckoned to Abraham for righteousness. Going back to faith, where James is, going, where James is saying it was the works that Abraham was doing, that the actual sacrifice itself, according to the Mosaic prescriptions. Now, Abraham lived before Moses, therefore he didn't even have the law of Moses. But nevertheless, James wants to argue that. For we say that faith was reckoned to Abraham for righteousness. How was it then reckoned? When he was in circumcision or uncircumcision? Ah, Paul, huh? Not in circumcision, but in uncircumcision. That this all happened before Paul was commanded to be circumcised and before he was 
before Abraham was commanded to be circumcised and to uh, circumcise Isaac. Therefore, he received the sign of circumcision. That circumcision is a sign, a token. Covenants are uh, with God are made with signs and tokens. That a sign of the circumcision is a seal of the righteousness of the faith, which he had yet been uncircumcised. And the reason he had circumcised is a, is, is, a, is a seal, a sign, a token uh, that, that you had faith when you were uncircumcised. That he might be the father of all them that believe, though they be not circumcised, that righteousness might be imputed unto them also. Going through 25, let's see, 4 through 25, yeah. 12, and the father of circumcision to them who are not of the circumcision only, but who also walk in the steps of that faith of our father Abraham, which he had yet been uncircumcised. For the promise that he should be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, the law of Moses, not the Ten Commandments but through the righteousness of faith. For if they which are of the law be heirs, if, if those who are keeping the law of Moses are heirs of the promises of God, faith is then made void. You don't have to have faith in God because it's the law that's making you to become a heir of God. And the promise made of none effect because the law worketh wrath, right? No one can keep the 613 commandments of Moses. Therefore, the law worketh wrath. For where no law is, there is no transgression, right? It's sin and ignorance. Therefore, it is of faith that it might be by grace. To the end, the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only to that which is of the law, but to that also which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations. Before him who he believed, even God, he quickeneth the dead, and call those things which be not as though they were. Who against hope believed in hope that he might become the father of many nations. He had no hope, right? He was 100 years old. Sarah, I can't remember, was like 80, 90, something like that, right? They were both old. They shouldn't be having children. But he still had that hope. He still believed that he would be the father of many nations. According to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body, now dead, He was <laughs> when he was about 100 years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. And keep in mind, he's 100 years old here, right? He ends up having several more children, something like six other sons with his third wife, Keturah. Very few people know that, but when you read Genesis closely, you'll see, you know, at some point he marries a third wife, Keturah, and he has six children. And this is where you get the descendants, for example, the Midianites. And why we got Jethro in the land of Midian giving Moses the priesthood. Jethro, from the descendants of the Midians, got it directly from their father Abraham through his third wife, Keturah. Now it all makes sense, right? A light bulb just went off on somebody's head. I can feel that right now. Right? <laughs> okay, so he continues on here. He staggered, he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully persuaded that what he had promised, God was able to perform. What God promised, he was able to perform. God would not promise something he's not able to perform. And therefore is imputed to him for righteousness. 
Now it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but for us also to whom it shall be imputed. If we believe on him, and again, here's the condition. For if, if, conditional, if we believe on him, God, that raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. You have to believe that. You can't just say, Jesus, Jesus. No, you have to believe in the actual God that has a body of flesh and bones that mankind are made in his image. You have to believe in the actual God of heaven and earth and that he then raised Jesus from the dead with a body, a physical body of flesh and bones, as he said to his apostles, handle me and see. For a, a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as he said I have. But if you believe in a spirit that was not ra raised from the dead, it was not raised by the God of heaven and earth, the biblical God. This promise does not pertain to you. It cannot be more clear than that. Okay, very good. Chapter 5. Oh, boy, isn't Paul great? Look at all this great stuff in here, right? His PhD, you know, he was studied, we, we know, from Acts. He was brought up under one of the greatest Jewish uh, rabbis and scholars of the Old Testament and the history of the world, Gamaliel. Paul was like a PhD in theology, and he writes that way. And that's why a lot of people just read this and they have no idea what he's talking about. I'm trying my best here to help you all understand so that when we get done this year, you're going to understand a New Testament better than 99% of the, of the Christian world out there. You will. If you just continue to watch these videos, pay attention. If you have to repeat these videos a couple of times, you will master this. You will know the New Testament better than 99% of the people out there. Okay, let's continue now in chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. Therefore, being justified by faith, not faith only, faith and keeping these Ten Commandments, as he's been arguing all the way up here, up to, <laughs> to now in chapter 5, in which he'll always argue. Therefore, be justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. It gives you peace to know that you're not committing adultery, that you're not robbing, that you're not uh, coveting, that you're not uh, proclaiming false witness, that you're not, you know, that you're keeping the, the Sabbath day holy, that you're not blaspheming the name of God. It gives you great peace. By whom also we have access by faith into this grace, wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also. We should glory in tribulations, because we know that tribulations worketh patience, and that with patience you gain experience, and experience hope. And the hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts, by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. Okay. So, uh, you know, a lot of people think, oh, well, God, there's no God because why do the bad things happen to, to good people on earth? Well, first of all, that's false doctrine. We already saw there is none good. No, not even one. Even Jesus himself said, why do you call me good? There's no good but God. Right? So, first of all, why do bad things happen to good people? There are no good people for bad things to happen to on this earth, right? So first of all, that's false doctrine. Second of all, we continue to see in the scriptures that you should be grateful for having bad things happen to you and going through trials and tribulations because it's going to give you what he's talking about here. It's going to give you patience. It's going to give you experience. It's going to mold you and help you for, form yourselves into the 
into a, a child of God, into the very image of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You got to allow God to work through your life to perfect you, to uh, to make you into something, right? If God never allowed that, you wouldn't have what he's talking about here. You wouldn't be able to develop patience. You wouldn't develop experience. You wouldn't develop hope. Okay, so then he says here, um, six through eight. For when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. Even when we were weak sinners, when we had no strength, we were weak sinners, God still died for us. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. It's very rare that someone be willing to die for a righteous man. But Jesus Christ died for the sinner. Yet peradventure for a good man, some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love towards us. God showed his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, before we repented of our sins and came unto him, Christ died for us nonetheless. Much more then, being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. We don't need to worry about receiving the wrath of God as the ungodly and the wicked will. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life, right? So even when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of Jesus. Jesus died for his enemies, gave them a chance to repent and come unto him. And not only so, but we also join God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, that was the consequence of that sin, to Adam, that Adam and his posterity would die. Again, not leaving alone anybody else outside Adam's family. we got to always be very clear when we teach the scriptures what they say, right? Talking Adam's family, right? So Adam died, sinned, therefore death came upon Adam and his descendants. Okay, so he says here, um, for as by one man sinned into the world and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after similitude. And Adam's transgression was the figure of him that was to come. So Enoch, for example, in Enoch City, right? Those who may have lived a really good life, right? They were still under this, this curse, uh, this penalty of Adam having sinned. Uh, 15, but not as the offense, so also it is the free gift. For if through the offense of one many be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. And not, and not as it was by one that sin, so is the gift. For the judgment was by one the condemnation, but the free gift is of many offenses unto justification. So, so judgment was by one. So, so because Adam sinned one time, condemnation came upon mankind. Jesus Christ gave free gift of his life, dying upon the cross of Calvary and suffering in Garden of Gethsemane. And because of that free gift, Many of our sins are, are, are justified now. For if one man's offense, death reigned by one, much more 
they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as by the offense of one judgment came upon all men to condemnation, even so by the righteousness of one, Jesus Christ, of one the free gift, giving himself for the sins of the world, came upon all men in the justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. All mankind were made sinners because of one man's disobedience and Adam partaking of the forbidden fruit. So by the obedience of one, Jesus Christ, shall many become righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. The law came to really make sure that everybody was guilty of sin. But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Now we go back again to what they were trying to say about Paul, that he's going around saying just break all the commandments so that you can receive even more and more grace, and therefore you're more and more blessed from God because he had to pour out more and more grace upon you. That's false doctrine. He said he, you know, that they're falsely saying that about him. That as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. Okay, chapter 6 here. And we'll begin in verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Right? Should we continue sinning so that we can continue receiving grace? And what's he going to say here? Hey, false apostates, uh, false evangelical Christians, pay attention here. God forbid. Right? How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer in sin? How shall we live any longer committing sin? It's not just, it's not okay to just say you believe in Jesus and then continue to sin. This is what Paul's saying. This is your champion. This is your man. Pay attention to what he's saying. Read his epistles. Don't just pick up one passage here, one there, take it out of context and build your church. Read and pay attention and understand what Paul, your own guy, is saying here. He's saying stop sinning. That it's important that you don't sin. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may rebound, that we can be receiving grace? God forbid. How shall we that are supposed to be dead to sin by when we accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior live any longer in sin? Know ye not? And I was going to learn about baptism. We're going to learn about baptism here. This is great. Know ye not that so many of us were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into his death by going under the water? Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Jesus Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should also walk in newness of life as we come out of the water, symbolizing the resurrection of Jesus Christ. For if we had been planted together in the likeness of his death going under the water, we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection coming out of the water. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that our old man, our own our old selves are crucified with Christ going under the water. We're dying unto sin and coming out as a new creature. That the body sin might be destroyed, so that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is free from sin. We're now free from sin, having died, having been put under the water before we came back out of the water. Knowing that Christ, now, if you, now the Catholics and, and other people, uh, other churches like Catholics, pay attention here. This one's for you, right? If the priest just comes and just sprinkles water on your head when you're a baby, 
you're missing out on all of this, aren't you? You're missing out on the ability and the blessing and the privilege of being crucified with Jesus by being buried under the water and then symbolizing resurrection coming out of the water. A little water on your head. Maybe it's done in, in, in with the purest motive, with the purest heart, but it's not baptism. Even if the priest thinks he's out of the goodness of his heart, even if he thinks he's performed baptism, it's not. And he's missing the wholesome, the symbolism of why we get baptized, what baptism is. It's symbolic of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's why you have to be immersed in the water and come back out of water. If you're not, you have not been baptized according to the New Testament. And according to God, who's the author of the New Testament through his servant here, Paul. Okay, so then we continue on here uh, in verse 8. Now, if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more. One time only, he will never die again. Death had no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once, but in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Likewise reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you're not under the law, but under grace. Now again, the law, you're not under the law. The law of Moses. If it helps you, just fill in. Every time you talk about the law like this, put law of Moses. He's not talking about not needing to keep the Ten Commandments. He keeps preaching over and over again. You have to keep the Ten Commandments. You have to keep the Ten Commandments. You're not under the law of Moses, but under grace. Grace you're receiving by keeping the Ten Commandments. And when you fall short of the glory of God, then you're receiving the Ten. You're receiving the grace from God. That's what Paul's saying. That's what Paul's saying. Pay attention to what Paul's saying. Your salvation depends upon it, after all, right? Not a laughing matter, right? Your salvation depends upon how you understand what God teaches in the scriptures and whether you go out and do it. He already said you'll be judged by your deeds. You'll be judged by your deeds. What, Paul, your champion, your man. That's what he said. You'll be judged by your deeds. We saw that passage earlier today. Okay, let's continue on here. 12, here we go again. Apostate Christians, evangelicals, wake up here. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in the lesser of. He just said you should not sin. Don't let sin reign in your mortal body. He didn't say you can sin and just accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior and you'll be fine. Never did Paul say that. Never once. Not one time did he say. He continues to teach the complete opposite of that. Neither yield ye members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin. Don't sin. That's Paul, your guy, your guy, your guy, your one. But you've been lied to. You've been lied to by your pastors and your preachers. You've been lied to. Maybe not directly again. They may out of their good heart talk to you the lie that they were told. 
But you have been lied to, either directly or indirectly. You've been lied to by your false the leaders, by your false Christian leaders. You've been lied to. That's not biblical doctrine, what they're teaching. This is the Bible. This is what the, what the Bible is saying. Read it and study it for yourself. But yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you. How many more times does he have to say it? You can't sin and don't allow yourselves to sin. Don't think you just have to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior and, your beef, and you'll be fine. Nowhere does it teach that. It teaches the opposite, that you should not sin, that you need to keep righteousness and you need to live a righteous life over and over again. Paul himself, your own man, your own man teaches that. You exalt Paul over Jesus Christ. You don't like Jesus of the New Testament. You don't like Jesus of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John because he teaches everything contrary to what you've been taught and what you go around proclaiming. So you exalt Paul. But the problem is you take a few verses of scripture out of context and then you build up a false Paul that doesn't exist. You also build up a false Jesus that doesn't exist. This is the true biblical Paul. We looked at the true biblical Jesus before. We've looked at the true biblical God all the way from the Old Testament in the beginning of 2022 all the way now through uh, we're getting near the end of 2023. We continue to look at the true God, the biblical God, the biblical Jesus, and now we're looking at the biblical Paul. And you need to pay attention and read what the true Paul is saying here. Your own guy, your own guy. Pay attention what he says. Okay, so then he says here, for you shall not have dominion, for sin shall not have dominion over you, for you're not under the law, Moses, but under grace. What then shall we sin? Shall we sin? Here we go. Because we are not under the law? Should we sin? Because we're not in the law of Moses. Because we're not keeping the law of Moses, is it okay to sin? He says, God forbid, you should not sin, even if you're not. Under the law Moses, don't sin. That's what he says. Don't sin. It's not enough to just accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You have to not sin. He keeps saying it over and over again. Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourself servants, yield yourself servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom you obey. If you obey sin unto death or obedience unto righteousness, you, you live a wicked life, doesn't matter whether you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. James, James will say that even the devil believes in Jesus Christ. They know he's the Savior and Redeemer of the world. We saw it in the, Old, in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, everywhere Jesus went. The devils were bowing down and proclaiming him the Son of God. That's not enough to save the demons in hell, is it? Nor was it enough to save you. You have to do what Paul says. you got to keep the commandments. You have to live a righteous life. That's what Paul says over and over again here. 17, but God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which has delivered you. Being then made free from sin, you became the servants of righteousness. I speak after the manner of man because of the infirmity of your flesh. For ye have yielded your members, the members of your body, servants to uncleanness and to iniquity unto iniquity, you know, sin upon sin. Even so now yield your members, servants to righteousness unto holiness. For when you were the servants of sin, you were free from righteousness. What fruit had ye then in those things whereof ye are now ashamed? 
for the end of those things is death. You keep persisting to thinking you're accepting Jesus as your Lord and Savior, but you're living a wicked life. He says here that uh, it's going to lead to death. Those things will lead you to death. Spiritual death, shut out from the presence of God forever and ever and ever. Weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth is how the Bible often describes it. But now, being made free from sin and become servants to God, you have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death. De Whoa, pay attention, evangelicals. Evangelicals, wake up. Here we go again. Let's read it again. This is not something you're going to hear from your pastor. It's biblical doctrine directly in the Bible. They're not going to teach you this. Willie, they won't teach it to you because it's contrary to everything else they say. Makes them to be a false teacher, right? Here we go. For the wages of sin is death. Doesn't matter whether you believe in Jesus Christ or not. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So what a great lesson. What a great way to start. What a mighty apostle Paul. Was. Jesus Christ declared him himself. His apostle. He didn't say that about any of the others, did he? And the doctrine comes, he never said that about Peter, did he? He never said Peter was my apostle. Never said John was his apostle. Never said Bartholomew was his apostle. Never said Philip was his apostle. Never said any of these things. That They, they were. <laughs> you know, they were, but he never proclaimed that, right? His own brother, James, who took over the leadership of the church. His next brother, Simon, the next leader of the church. His third brother, in his 90s, takes over the leadership of the church, Jude, who writes the epistle of Jude, the first three presidents of the of the church uh, uh, after Jesus, right? All apostles, all his brothers, never says that they were his apostles. Who's the one he says in the Doctrine of Covenants was his apostle? Paul. Very interesting, right? Who was the only one out of all those men we just mentioned who was not a member, the official member of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles? Paul. Interesting, right? What a great lesson, what powerful thing. Hopefully, those of you who have been lied to by false religious leaders have paid attention to today's lesson. If you need to repeat this video again, please continue to do it until you master this material. Once you master this material, they can no longer deceive you anymore. They can no longer lead you astray. They can no longer lead you after false gods of this false trinity business that they like to preach rather than the true biblical Jesus of the Bible. Of him, the true Jesus, we testify to the world this day that he lives, that he rose from the dead just as the scriptures teach, that he sits enthroned in majesty and glory, and he is forthcoming in all his majesty and glory to reign as King of kings and Lord of lords upon this earth. For those of you not yet had the marvelous opportunity, as he taught here about baptism, to be buried, in the water, and come back out of the water, symbolizing the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. For those of you who have not yet had that opportunity to receive that baptism by those who hold the priest and authority of God, we extend an invitation to you this day, directly from the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ himself, to come, to come unto him. Just click on the link in the description of this video. Reach out to our missionaries of the church. Let them know you're ready to accept Jesus Christ into your lives. They will help you and teach you and prepare you to become baptized just as God asks you to do so. 
so that you can say you were, just as Paul did, that you have been crucified with Jesus, that your old man or old woman has been crucified and, and that you've been that you died to sin and that you're living a new life of righteousness and that you've risen, that you've resurrected with Jesus Christ as it teaches here. What great blessings those things will be in your life. You'll then receive the great gift of the Holy Ghost to lead and guide and be a constant protection and, and helper. Another word for the Holy Ghost is helper and comforter to comfort and to help you throughout the rest of your lives. We ask God's blessings upon you this day. We ask God to bless you with the basic financial resources you need in your life to carry out God's mission and will for your lives. We pray that you may have safe shelter overhead, that you may have good health and good strength, and that you may be a great instrument in leading many into God's kingdom and God's church upon the earth. For those of you who in activity, we welcome you with wide open arms to come on back. Come on back to be a member. Once again, the community and the saints of God. We extend these invitations to you. Ask God's blessings upon you and testify of the truth of these things that you have heard this day. These are the words of God. This is God's truth. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. <laughs>